Yeah, I, I am working on something new. The answer here is like Ozempic for risk-taking. We need like a drug that gives you like the Elon Musk risk-taking gene. I don't like being comfortable. It's the most unsettling and stressful. It actually leads to like very serious depression. I need to be doing something like terrifying. Curiosity is my number one currency that I optimize for. More than money, more than fame or health, satiating curiosity is the, the number one thing I will sacrifice anything for. This is Audience of One, and I'm your host, Spencer Keir. My guest today is John Coogan. John is the co-founder of Soylent and Lucy, an entrepreneur in residence at Founders Fund and a creator. We talk about AI, pioneering versus wireheading, the need for more risk takers, identifying problems to solve, satiating your curiosity, YouTube and podcasting, and his next venture. Please enjoy. Is there a particular question that you've been thinking a lot about recently or that's been occupying like a lot of your background processing? Yes. Question or topic or problem space, however you want to frame it. Yeah, I mean, there's been one that I've been thinking about, which is kind of trendy. I don't know if it's worth really talking about, but um, it's basically just this idea of like, are there AI doom scenarios that people aren't considering? So the obvious one, like the, the debate for the last year seems to have been like, like either Terminator kills everyone or we get like this magical utopia and everything's perfect, but there's probably third and fourth options. There's very, there's a lot of other options, how things could play out. And I'm very worried about a situation where uh, essentially um, the AI loves us to death instead of kills us. So a benevolent <laughs> murdering AI. And what I mean by that is, if there's an AI that gives you exactly what you want every second of the day, you wind up potentially like living in this virtual world. You don't have kids. You're very happy with that decision because you have a virtual kid and it's easier because you just snap your fingers and the diaper changes instead of having to do it yourself. And you get all this fulfillment because the AI is like lying to you about like who, like what's really happening and, and you're getting drugs pointed, pumped into your brain. Like true, they, they call this wireheading in science fiction. Um, and, and there's a question about like, if wireheading technology becomes real, how many people will opt in? And when you look at the number of people that spend a ton of time on their phones, okay. It might be everyone, or it might be enough. Like, there's a question. I, I I think that like the like the base case should probably be like there's a fork where a lot of people choose wireheading, but then a lot of people choose to go explore the stars. And like I would be on Mars with like Elon Musk, like you know trying to make it work and like go to the next place. Like I I have the explorer mindset, but exploring requires a like a big infrastructure. Like like SpaceX cannot launch a rocket with less than like tens of thousands of people and the supply chain and all the different things. And there needs to be somebody that digs up the metal that goes into the rocket. So there's like, like society can collapse if, if there's not enough of that. So, um, that's just, that's just like a, an underexplored scenario that I think is interesting to like pull at and dig at. But, uh, it reminds me of, uh, yeah. I was listening to the Altman Rogan podcast a few weeks ago. I yeah, didn't end up finishing it, but there was an aspect of, there was an excerpt from it that really stuck with me where Sam was like, uh, I think it's actually fatal for us to remove the struggle. Like that's a, that's a essential part of the human experience is that struggle that then leads to the outcome. 
Uh, and kind of what you're brushing up against is like if everything's handed to us on a silver platter. And we've been seeing uh, increasingly a shift in this direction. I mean, look at all like the Ozempic discussion that, that was yep. going on in recent months. Uh, think of a world where we have Ozempic for everything uh, yeah. and we've completely removed that struggle. But I'm not, uh, I think it's one thing to identify that risk and another to say like, with all the million permutations of that, how do you potentially protect against it? So I'd be curious if you have any thoughts on like what what is actionable there. I think it probably comes down to like cultural values, building a culture around, you know, like because I I, I don't have some sort of uh, you know steely logic for why humans need to ex colonize other planets or explore the stars. I just feel that it's what we should do. And I think that might be enough. I think it might be enough to just convince other people to inspire them to say, yes, like we should go and, and go outwards and continue to expand and increase energy usage and, and explore. Um, but there isn't, there isn't really super strong logic to that. It's just kind of like the vibe. Yeah, maybe there doesn't have to be also like the, yeah. the history but of like, humanity. Vibes are very important in terms of culture. Like people, sure. people, you know, like like the the if the wireheading thing becomes like the trend and it becomes cool, like a lot of people can like go down that path. I think importantly, what you're saying is let's uh, demonstrate and communicate a positive narrative about this pioneering um, aspect of human nature, rather than protecting against the anti trying to be anti this other wire heading approach, yeah. which I think is like, we, we need a more positive narrative than trying to deter people from the negative one. Yeah. yeah. Is there, yeah, yeah, a, it's very tricky, but anyway, that's just like sci-fi stuff I'm thinking about. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating. Is there, do you have, I mean, you've been spending a lot of time with aerospace and defense companies, both through founders fund and then also through, uh, YouTube your channel. your YouTube yeah. channel, but then also your podcast. Um, is there a point at which you're feeling compelled to like turn that cover that media coverage into like action and start your own company in the space that's uh, pioneering in some way? Not really, because I I mean, having studied the companies that have been successful in defense technology, I know that it's not a fit for me. Like it, it usually requires a billionaire not a billionaire. Um, <laughs> it also requires, you know, like deep hardware, software expertise. I have some software expertise. I'm not really a hardware guy. So like you can maybe put together some crazy crack team, which is what, which what has happened at the companies that have been successful. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't really see a particular gap in the market that I'd be interested in going in, into. I'm, I, I'd be much more interested in finding a, uh, like a solution where it's like you're selling shovels during the gold rush, maybe something that could like help all the defense companies in some way. And the media and is, is in some way is doing that in the sense that like you watch a documentary about a company, maybe you go work there. Like it's, it's benefiting the industry broadly, which I think is good. Um, but I don't, I don't see myself like building a drone. <laughs> um, that's just not like my background or anything like that. It's cool stuff though. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I want to go back kind of to the the beginning of your experience in tech and talk a bit about YC and kind of the early stages of building startups. Yeah. Uh, and listening to a couple of your other 
podcast episodes on, on other podcasts, you, you touched a couple of times on this topic of uh, problem discovery and experimentation. And I think at the time you went through YC, I think, in fact, you were going through an accelerator, like a hacker house that merged with YC. Yeah, something along it was those lines. complicated, but yes, basically YC. Okay. Um, uh, but it was even earlier stage than it is now, I believe. And it was much more a focus on like this idea stage, trying to, to prove out concepts. I'm wondering if there are, I know just before we started the episode, you were talking about, it's difficult to, to create uh, generalizable advice for people, but it, are there any kind of guidelines or principles around problem discovery and experimentation that have stuck with you over the years as a result of your time at YC? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the... The, I mean, the narrative that I can tell is like what what I experienced, which was like uh, YC says, make something people want, build something that you yourself can use, like solve a problem for yourself. These are kind of common heuristics. And that's essentially what we were doing, um, just making notes about little frustrations. But for a long time, it, we really did start with like the imagined problem that we didn't actually have. Oh, we were like, oh, maybe someone has this problem there. Let's go and try and make something. And it wasn't until we actually realized like, wait, we are trying to spend all day coding. We don't want to worry about food. Let's create a protein shake that we can drink that replaces meals like that, that we really like hit a, hit a cord because that was something there were just overnight. There were tens of thousands of people who were in the exact same boat. And so all, all of those people signed up just immediately. It was, it was perfect. And so um, just building for yourself, it's the same thing that you're trying to do with your podcast. It's the same thing that I do with the YouTube channel. It's like, like right now I'm working on this really big deep dive on uh, Rockstar Games. And it's funny because like I'm doing all this research and I keep, I keep saying like, like I wish there was just like a 40 minute video breaking down this company. And it's like, oh wait, that's what I'm making. Like I'm, right. I'm, I'm the one that's going to make that. Um, but like, that's how I want to consume that. And I want to hear the story and I want to tie a bunch of different things together. Not just GTA, also take two, also like the different, the, the, the different people, uh, also the business side, also the gaming side. I want to bring all that together. Um, so I think that will be successful because I think there's other people that will, that will, uh, that have the same, you know, need. Um, but ultimately it's just like something that I want to do. Um, so I still like that. I still like, you know, go through your day, find pain points. I think that everyone has felt that like the internet is getting crappier over the last, like the, the, the clear web, like the just random dot coms that you land on. It's like ads and cookie banners and this and that. It's just a disaster. Google search results are getting like way worse. Like you scroll down and all of a sudden you're in like all these different tabs and articles and images and stuff. So it's not a surprise that like perplexity AI is like getting all this attention and people are really wanting to like, let's replace Google because like just having an AI sit in front of you, bring you the answer. Like that seems like a problem that is solving something that is real. Um, it's not like imagined. So I think, I, 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 I don't know if the, the perplexity guys actually were like, oh, we really hate, sure. we really hate the, the, the internet as it is today, but I certainly do. And I'm certainly looking for a solution there. Now, do I have the skill set to go build perplexity? Probably not. But, um, but I, think, I think like finding like the really like uncomfortable pain points, the things that really frustrate you and then motivating like to go figure out a solution. Like that's a pretty good starting point for a lot of these things. I think it's, th there is also like the cynical approach, which is just like, 
you know, oh, like a lot of people are making money doing this thing. It's pretty right. easy. I can just go do that thing. It's not particularly inspiring, but there are people that make a good living doing that. There are plenty of people that are just like, you know what? Like, like everyone's making money hand over fists, grifting NFTs. So I'm going to be an <laughs> NFT grifter. And some of them are happy. So like, if that's <laughs> you, like go to town, I guess, like stay out of jail, don't bring the law. But um, for me, I am much more of like the tinkerer. I much, I like organizing information. I like solving problems. I like building things that can be around for a very long time. Like, it's just like, that wouldn't, it wouldn't be motivating to me. But for some people, that's the, yeah, right, that's said, the right frame of mind. It's the anti-YC frame of mind. Right, right. Yeah, you've said uh, that you think people should, and and when you're saying this, I know it's advice for yourself, but that people should should focus on the biggest, most impactful problem that they have some competency in, like where they can add value. Yeah, I think that's like the most, it's the most efficient for like humanity. Um, right. And I mostly said that, I think I mostly said that to like Sean and Sam at My First Million, because like they're the opposite of that. They're like the right. lifestyle business guys. Um, and they're like the, the kind of the anti-venture crew. Not really, but they, that's like a little bit of their brand. So I thought, I, like, let's have an argument. Let's, let, let, this will be good content. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, in general, like that is the thing that like winds up being the generational company, being the thing that you have no regrets on your deathbed, like be the thing that you're a member of your, uh, your upstanding member of your community. Like all these things are correlated if you're like working on a really impactful problem that you're the unique person to go, to go solve. Um, so like, especially if you're young, like at least give it a try. Yeah. Like don't just go and like waste away at some, you know, big tech company. Like if you're passionate about something and it's a really ambitious thing, like take a swing at it. Like there'll be so many people rooting for you. Um, I, I, I see it a ton in, in El Segundo where I, I just put out a video about like kind of touring some of these younger companies and like they're much earlier stage than some of the other companies I cover. Like did a video about Palantir. It's like a public company. It's very real. Anderol, like really, really big company. Some of these companies are like two guys in a mattress in a, in, you know, some warehouse. It's like, the 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 assumption is that these companies will fail but that doesn't matter like they're learning really valuable skills they're having a ton of fun they're they're taking a shot at something like that's that's to be rewarded in our society like we need more risk taking we're definitely not taking enough risk as a society in america right now like 100 percent. there's two directions i want to go here what one is uh did you have an innate sense or like predisposition towards wanting to do these bigger, more ambitious things? Because I, I look at your time at YC and it's like, you're going through this problem discovery phase, you land on a problem. Maybe at that time you didn't even have like a, a good enough skill set to hang your hat on to say, I should be solving this problem. Um, but in hindsight, would you say that like, that was the biggest problem you could be solving? You were, you were taking your own advice? Um, maybe. Or is that like a muscle you exercise I think over at the time earlier stage, I, I think at the earlier stage, we were really just like, let's try and make a dollar of revenue. Yeah. Like we're starving here. Like let's do anything. So we were like about to start like a t-shirt company and we were doing stuff in gaming and, and Wi-Fi networking and education. We were just like all over the place, just trying to find something that felt right. Just really just pawing along in the dark. But, um, a lot of these things also get like kind of retconned after the fact, like, mm -hmm. um, like, you know, 
with any of my projects, it's like, you know, are we like changing the way the food industry works and like curing obesity or is it just like a protein shake company? Like kind of depends on how well it does. <laughs> right. If it does really, really well, everyone's gonna be like, oh man, he was like a genius like health <laughs> entrepreneur, like changed the direction of American health. Um, and the same thing with Lucy. It's like, it's like, you know, are we like single-handedly like killing tobacco for good and like saving millions of lives? Or is it just like, you know, oh, it's like some of the people like chewing nicotine gum sometimes and it gives them a little buzz. It's like kind of either. I don't know. Like it kind of depends. <laughs> depends yeah, on like where we're... things end. Like there is a big vision. There is a big like problem to solve. There, There is like a big need. Um, I think it's probably more important for founders just to like, like be able to tell a story about that and then actually believe that story. Hmm. Like if they, if I, I think there's a big difference between founders who believe that they will be solving the, that the problem is big enough for them to solve it as their life's work for, they don't think it'll be solved in two years. If they think it's going to be solved in like two to four years, that's going to completely change the way they, 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 they run the business. And that might be good. There are people that spin up social apps and sell them, like, and they have a great time. It won't be named, but uh, but it just kind of depends. Like like you you but the the people that are successful in that like they go into it eyes open, and everyone on board is like this is the plan. The most important thing is just like alignment around the plan, because if a VC is like I only fund life's work entrepreneurs, and I'm only going for companies that can be hundred billion trillion dollar companies, public companies, like really foundational things. I want every founder to be on this forever. And then you show up and you're like, I want to sell this thing in two years. Like, A, they won't fund you. But then if you lie to yourself or you lie mm. to them, then you're going to have conflict down the road. Maybe it's fine. Maybe it's not. But like, or your employees are going to say, oh, well, like, I thought I thought we were going to uh, get acquired and I, I was going to go, you know, sail off into the sunset or work somewhere else or, or oh, like, actually, like, vice versa, you know, something like that. Um, so um, just 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 like being honest with yourself about what you want and then and then aligning everyone else in the orbit around that. I think I think authenticity is probably like the, the most cringe word for this, but it's true. Um, true. Just just like really, really understanding what you want to be doing with your life, because some people just want to chill on the beach and that's yeah. fine. Like. They'll be in Wireheading City. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they won't be on Mars. I don't. I don't want to be too judgy about that. Yeah, right? yeah. I, no, because I because it. like there are plenty of different ways to like you know, like live a life. But it's almost like we've we've. It feels like we might have over-indexed, especially in the last bull run, on, on like, everyone needs to say that they're building a generational company and doing their life's work, regardless of what they're working on. And some people might be like, no, actually, I'm just doing a science project. And the only thing I care about is testing this little piece of science. But academia is broken. And so I can't go test this thing there. So I have to do it in the public, in the private sector. And so really, I'm just a scientist, but you gave me a bunch of money. And then I gave you a science experiment. And like, what do you expect? Like, I did build an amazing company. Yeah. How do we solve for that? Like, what it, do we need like a gradient to the financing models that allow people to spin up these like whether it's experiments or these, uh, the goal from the onset is like a $10 million ARR business. It's not to be a unicorn. Uh, yeah. feels like we need things in between there, but the, there aren't 
markets I mean, those, that incentivize like, like, that. Yeah, I, I've heard about this like a number of times from people like, oh, like why aren't there like financing structures for, for, um, for like lifestyle businesses? And like there are like a you can get a credit card, start a company tomorrow, <laughs> and it's not that expensive to put up a website and get a customer to pay you for something that you built. Um, like it's pretty rare that it's like, oh, I need, a, I need, I need $10 million or a hundred million dollars right. before I can get Fair. a lifestyle business going. It's like, no, usually you can just say like, like I'm doing the thing. I am the person that gets the thing done. My customer pays me directly. It's kind of a job. I'm like almost a consultant. A lot of these lifestyle businesses, they start out as, you know, consulting shops or like agencies. And then they start like kind of scaling. It's like, you know, I was, I was in the kitchen of my restaurant. Now I'm, now I have three restaurants. Like that's a lifestyle business, right? Like, um, and there are plenty of financing structures for starting restaurants there. You go get a bank loan, you, you know, mortgage your house, like depending on what you want to do and what your risk tolerance is like the capital markets are, I think fairly efficient there. Um, and then also, I mean, I, I just saw today on Twitter, uh, like Ryan Hoover, the product hunt guy was talking about how he wants to like yeah, invest in too. some, he wants to invest in lifestyle businesses or cash flowing businesses. Uh, the tiny guys have been doing this forever. Like there, there are a bunch of structures. It's just like, go into it. Like don't walk into, uh, you know, some, some billion dollar mega venture capital fund or some like hedge fund and say like, Hey, like good news. Like we're going to maybe making $2 million in cash flow forever. It's like, yeah, well, they're not interested in that. So yeah, don't delude yourself. With that being said, I've heard from a number of founders and investors, uh, especially in like the last years I've been doing this podcast, that the, the bottleneck on innovation, I think understandably is somewhat commonsensical, is uh, these like elite, agentic, amb ambitious founders, and that we need more of those. Yeah. Is it is it a function of, I imagine it's somewhere in between as always, but is that a function of like uh, poor discovery mechanisms i imagine it's not so much that with like the proliferation of the internet or is it uh is there something like culturally that's wrong that's led to yeah, people I, solving I, yeah i don't it. think there are 10 more elon musks out there who just can't raise money like that doesn't seem right i think that yeah the answer here is like ozempic for risk-taking we need like a drug that gives you like the elon musk risk-taking gene or whatever because he truly like has just an insane risk tolerance and just yeah. is constantly re-raising re the stakes and just doing like crazy, crazy stuff, which is awesome. And um, there, there are people who have like the educational background, the technical skill set, the the intelligence. Like it, it seems like I mean, if you read the Walter Isaacson book, it seems like the real like X factor is like he checks all the boxes, and then he also has this X factor, which is like insane risk taking, and that seems to be something just like crazy in his brain that is very, very rare. Um, and throughout history, there's probably been similar, similar people that have had that. And there's not really a way to like unlock that. I don't think we should actually make an Ozempic for risk taking. I think yeah. that probably <laughs> be, have like very, very bad side effects. I was um, going to make that the, the title. Of this but episode. it is interesting. Like how far away are we from that? Cause Ozempic seems to like kind of decrease your risk taking abilities. Like, cause you don't want to gamble and maybe you should be, increasing the desire to gamble almost because <laughs> that's kind of what venture is so i i i don't know i think i think it would be good to pull some of the founders who don't want to be in the private markets like out of the private markets and give them a way to express what they do without 
needing to build a company around it. So the classic example is like, we don't, we don't have like a Richard Feynman today. Like, like the academia is like so broken that like, if we have like a genius scientist, like we force them to start a company. And that's like kind of the only way for them to actually do like real research, uh, which is very sad uh, because those people, they, they, they don't really like running companies. They don't want to be managers. They don't want to have to like game the financial markets. These people are not like figuring out how to SPAC their companies. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's definitely like, it's sad. I don't know if how bad it is. It seems like it's not great. It would be great if we had, you know, the ability to take like some geniuses and just like say like, Hey, look, go and research for 30 years. You have tenure, like you can do whatever. And there's no, real financial return required. And then we'll get some really in interesting, like fundamental science out of that. Um, in terms of like pulling more people into the, the, the entrepreneurial space, that is a tricky one. I don't know. Maybe it's something you can't force unless we are coming up with this, uh, Ozempic for risk taking. Yeah. I mean, I, I, th I, I'm thinking like, there might be a way to like take some of the easy roads off the table. So a lot of, a lot of like, you know, very talented, intelligent Gen Z kids I talk to are, they've figured out how to make money online, but they're doing it in kind of like just questionable ways that aren't super durable or like, they're just like drop shipping, hustling, kind of like the Andrew Tateification of entrepreneurship. I, I worry that like there's probably some of those people that could go bigger and, and have more impact if they kind of stayed away from that. So the way to stop that and cut off some of those pathways would probably be with like some more wrist slaps. Like it seems like CoffeeZilla might be like the only person stopping NFT scammers right now. Like if people are getting robbed, like the SEC probably should step in on some of this stuff. Um, and just like the, the, this, the, the government doesn't seem to be working efficiently in this regard whatsoever. I'm not really for like a ton more regulation, but yeah. there just seems to be like a lot of people who are effectively criminals and, and they could be probably building something more beneficial with their skill sets. Like we, we should be like rehabilitating these people more than just like, you know, I, I, I don't want them to be like locked up or anything. I just want them to like, okay, like that, Re that easy money, energy. that easy money faucet has just been turned off. Yeah. Um, so good job. Cause a lot of entrepreneurs have crazy early stories of things that like kind of sound like scams. Like I, I worked at a scam like very early on. I, I wasn't running it. I just worked there for a day or two. Um, but even, even just like, like, you know, as you're exploring on the internet, as like a young kid, like you can, I, I, I know an entrepreneur who was selling, uh, cheats for Minecraft or like hacks for Minecraft that would like help you do better in Minecraft. It's like, that's like kind of immoral, probably against the terms of service. I don't know. Is it really that bad? Probably not. But like, uh, that's actually cool that he did that, like built a little mini business around it and then went into like legitimate things. Right. But we want that to stop at like the, okay, 
good job, 15 year old. You made $5,000 selling cheat codes. Like now move on to like something right. impactful. That's Instead the first of like, stage of the game. oh, wait, no, there's actually $10 million there. And like you get a Lamborghini now because you're doing this thing. Right. I'd like to stop it at like the five, 10 grand level. Yeah, I have my I have my stories on that as well. I used to sell uh, power balance. I'd buy power balance bands from uh, the, those like wholesale Chinese yep. sites and then sell them back on eBay. At a yeah. significant markup. Yeah, um, it's great. But, like, I think it's an important formative experience, and it builds some some very very general muscles for entrepreneurship. Like, you have a profit and loss statement. That's important to build that skill. It's uh, kind of hard to learn it from a textbook abstractly in in like an accounting class. It's not quite the same as actually like doing it. Um, but yeah, it's like some of these areas are like kind of dead ends. That might be an interesting source to pull yeah. entrepreneurs because we, we it does seem like we're a little bit underweight on like the Gen Z entrepreneurs right now. Obviously, Alex Wang's phenomenal. There's a bunch of others. I, I don't want to like discount anything. It might just be early. It also might be something with like the structure of like we were at a real turning point with with the internet. It was a total land grab, so you could get like you know Mark Zuckerberg and all the social entrepreneurs could like come and actually have like a level playing field to really go out and compete, and they could just crush and build really really big businesses. Um, but it's weird that like last year, like the, the number one, like, you know, founder CEO person is like a millennial Sam Altman instead of like a Gen Z kid. Like he, 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 like Sam Altman kind of, I mean, it came up obviously like a decade earlier, but, uh, he really, really hit like the tens of billions of dollars tier, like 10 years after Zuck, but he's like the same age almost. So that's, but in fairness, he started what? seven years five seven years ago yeah 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 of course of course it's just like it's just like it would have been like you know 10 years ago zuck was like the kid straight out of college like it, there, there is a different path here where the where like the 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 10 the tens of billions of dollars entrepreneur focused on ai breakthroughs with like the hottest company is someone like a college dropout Who's who's right. who's who's like in their twenties, and we're all like, oh, the the kids are at it again. Like it's, it's the next Mark Zuckerberg. Like no one's calling yeah. Sam like the next Mark Zuckerberg because like he's been in the game the whole time, and like it's an incredible achievement, and it's a testament to like what happens when you spend ten years working on a really fundamental technology. OpenAI is an incredible company, but it's just it's just like, you know, where's the Mark Zuckerberg, right? Yeah, of this next generation. Um, Digging into kind of D to C and CPG for a minute, yeah. I think one of the things I found really fascinating about your journey is uh, you you built these CPG and D, D to C brands through YC. When I think I imagine most of your peers at the time were building like true kind of software or hardware yeah. companies, um, and in fact, I think. Uh, a lot of people would probably have difficulty raising like venture capital for those types of ventures nowadays. Um, particularly interested in your second time with Lucy after having gone through it with Soylent. Uh, why did you decide to build? And maybe I'm like I'm uh, exaggerating the, the like financial fundraising aspect of this, the difficulties around that. But why did you decide to build another CPG and D2C company? Um, is there, was there some kind of edge you felt like you had developed or is purely the problem that you saw or are you just a masochist? I am a masochist. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I don't like being comfortable. It's the most unsettling and stressful. Comfort is uncomfortable. It's extremely uncomfortable. It's like, it actually leads to like very serious depression. It needs to be, need to be uncomfortable, need to be doing something like terrifying. Like I have a, I, I have a little <laughs> bit of that like risk taking gene. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I need, I need control over chaos. Um, but wait, wait, let's, we did have an edge with Lucy. Sorry. I, I want to go into that one. Actually. I know I just asked you a question, but I want to dive yeah. into that more. Cause that's one of the things on another podcast you had mentioned, like, uh, you, you love being at the bottom of the exponential growth curve, even yes. when like people around you who are on that linear journey might at the yeah. outset look like uh, they've got some advantage over you. Is that something that was innate or you had to, to cultivate? Uh, pretty innate. Yeah, I think going back to your not to... To, not to attempt to calculated. tell you who you are, yeah. but you're, uh, I remember you talking about your time at the end of college and your college yeah. counselor was like, yeah, you shouldn't probably go work for somebody. You should be an entrepreneur probably yeah. because of tendencies like this. But I think, uh, that's a rare quality. Like all of humanity is oriented toward, especially nowadays, as we've kind of solved the lower rungs of Maslow's hierarchy, it's like, we're oriented towards comfort. Uh, and you actually have to opt out of the system to get into more uncomfortable situations. So the, the, you, you have to have the like agency and desire to go and do those things, uh, which I think makes it in turn an even more rare trait. So, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's like, it's like, it's definitely something that I'm doing. Like it, when I, when I'm weak at something, I like to go and, and, and I just personally enjoy solving that and getting through that uh public speaking is something everyone's afraid of i think i was afraid of it but like now i do public speaking and i've kind of solved that like coding is hard i learned to code i really enjoyed that process like getting better i think that there's generally like an accepted wisdom i don't know how true this is it certainly doesn't it's not even an option for me but um but th there's this idea that like maybe you should just focus on like one thing and get to the top of the exponential curve or uh you know become the 10x engineer or maybe focus on like two things and combine them so then you're the world expert in engineering and public speaking and that creates a really interesting mix instead of being like the jack of all trades master of none which mm -hmm. is like kind of the dangerous zone um i don't know if i'm full, fully there kind of doesn't matter like I'm going to do what I find interesting and that's that. That's it. So it starts from a place of curiosity more than it is attempting to like be uncomfortable yeah. for the sake of being uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 Curiosity is my number one currency that I optimize for more than money, more than fame or health or anything like satisfying satiating curiosity is the the number one thing i will sacrifice anything for was that incredibly difficult early on i think maybe it's easier now once you've gotten to i imagine some level of financial security uh given the past success of your two companies no because i don't feel it like that like i okay. just feel like oh this is like like i'm getting the satisfaction like i'll eat ramen but i learned a lot today and so i'm happier than if i ate a steak i love that that was yeah that was very 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 innate for sure that's fascinating yeah I, it does uh, have drawbacks though like for sure there, there 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 are tons of drawbacks though like what just don't make as much money <laughs> like 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 there are plenty of opportunities that i've had to make a lot of money doing something boring 
I haven't taken them. Have you have you also for, foregone, I guess, adjacent to that would be status, like there's status associated with that that you could have or that that is yes. not as yeah, much definitely. of a trade off. Yeah, de yeah, definitely. There 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 are status and prestigious places where you can where you can go and do something very like straightforward, make a lot of money, have have a lot of status, but not actually learn anything new about the world. It sounds terrible to me. Yeah. You were talking earlier about how in regards to uh, these young entrepreneurs who have kind of these easy, safe paths around making a decent amount of money, and maybe there's ways for us to kind of close those off so that they have to, to graduate to that next kind of entrepreneurial task or journey. Uh, something to kind of take that metaphor that I've been thinking about in regards to curiosity is like, how do we increase kind of global or like collective curiosity? Because uh, I really do think that's the engine for like all innovation that's ever happened. This is like kind of the, the Steve Jobs sure. quote around like um, everything that you see around you started as like an idea in somebody's head. It's like it started even before that is like this, this kind of itch of curiosity. Like I want to go do this thing for the sake of it. I don't really know why I'm being drawn to this, but going to go follow it. I think nowadays, and it's probably the case for most of humanity, but like curiosity gets beaten out of you. And yeah. so I've been thinking a lot about how do we... Uh, how do we, I don't know whether it's making curiosity more cool or making it safer for people or whatever, but I think we're missing out on a lot of innovation and culture and uh, kind of ingenuity yeah. because people are suppressing curiosity. I don't know if curiosity gets beaten out of you. Certainly naive optimism gets beaten out of you. Like you start, you, you start, it becomes very, very clear. Like, oh yes, like, like that would, that, this is a path that would satisfy your curiosity, but it, it would require, it, you actually see the sacrifices that would need to be made mm -hmm. as opposed to when you're early on, you might just be like, oh, like, I don't realize that this is going to have like some, you know, massive drawback. And so you just stumble into it. Yeah. And then you're eating glass for five years or something. I <laughs> know that, that tracks. Uh on the note of optimism, this, this is a, a bit of a hard turn, but sure. um, been thinking a lot about this. Uh, thinking a lot about the culture of techno optimism, and I think you would. I, I consider myself a techno optimist. I know through your work, you you definitely are, um, and you actually do a good job of like kind of through your YouTube channel making it come across as uh, you're not going to be overly optimistic, but then like there's this kind of hidden message around techno optimism and the benefits of these companies. Um, with that being said about me being a techno-optimist, I think there's one lens to it, which could be that there's kind of this defeatist attitude towards the fact that like the arrow of progress kind of moves on. Like technology is just kind of the story. Uh, continuing to create technology is the story of humanity. And so the thought that we're going to stop this fast moving train is kind of silly. Um, but I think it's one thing to like, be defeatist about that versus thinking that a legitimately better future will come as a result of the technology and innovation that's being created. Um, how do you think about like, do you really think the future gets better unquestionably through the creation of technology? Given at the beginning of this, we were talking about how some yeah, set of people are going to be wireheads versus others are going to be pioneers. Um, and should we be more diligent about like why we're building things rather than just building them because we can? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's good technologies, there's bad technologies, and technologies can be used for good or evil. It's all. Um, 
I think I'm just the the techno optimism thing is just like generally like I'm in favor of increased energy usage, like increased technology. I think it's generally been good so far. I think there's a big question about like how much progress, how, like the arrow of progress, like did it stop in the seventies and has it, have, are we in like really deep stagnation? Will we break, break out of that? There, there's some very serious questions about that. Um, Techno optimist. It's really just like, I mean, in terms of the, the, the YouTube content, I think the strategy has just been, um, that was, there was a very big gap in YouTube in terms of, in terms of techno optimism, because I felt like there were, there were, there were a number of different channels and content creators that talked about business and technology, but they, they fell into a number of buckets. I would call, um, I don't know. Do you like the pills analogy? Red pill, blue pill, black pill. Yeah. Uh, are you f- familiar? So there's, there's like the, there's the blue pill, um, channels, which I would put like, you know, Ted talks in, which are very much like Pollyannish. Everything's going to be great. Sit back. Cancer's cured. This doctor just cured cancer. You know how many TED talks I've seen that say like cancer's cured? Like it's every other TED talk I feel like is like, oh, we cured cancer. It's like, wow, didn't know that. Oh, it was actually a marketing stunt. Like, okay, I, there were, we haven't made any progress. Um, uh, so it's like very like, 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 you know, very much just like lay back. The future is going to be great. You don't need to do anything. You're good. Then there's like the red pill content, which I would call like, not like politically red pilled, um, but like, it's like, oh, you take this and it's like secretly corporations are bad. And so you see a lot of that content where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this that company, sells. did you know that this company that maybe they did actually cure some cancer, but they made a lot of money doing it. So they're bad. right? And it's like, oh, okay, like I'm not really vibing with that. Um, and then there's the black pill content, which is like, everything's bad. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, not only is the is the corporation that cured cancer and made a lot of money bad. But let me tell you about how the IRS is bad for taking that guy's money. And then let me tell you about, you know, the person that got hurt in the trial for taking the drug. It's like everything's bad because there's this negativity bias and that's what performs well in the algorithm because people have loss aversion. This is a very innate, uh, you know, human tendency. And so if I tell you uh, this is bad, the, the disturbing truth, the shocking horror of X, Y, and Z, like I can talk about everything, but as long as I keep that lens, people mm-hmm. will watch. And so it is profit maximizing for these channels to be, to be black pilled. Um, Ironically. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I wanted to come with something that was more of like a white pill or like a clear pill. I don't know what you call it, but like, uh, something that was a little bit more positive, but nuanced, but required, but, but acknowledged that technology wasn't going to move forward unless people actually did something and focused on founders and focused on individuals and said, look, no, you can't just sit back and let the scientists cure cancer. Maybe, maybe, maybe we need to go out and make something happen. Maybe we need to really, really work on this. And maybe, maybe it does take like a Herculean effort from very, very interesting and, and controversial and heretical figures to get to, to, to actually move the needle on any of this stuff. And maybe there is a huge amount of risk and maybe, maybe the, the, the real, the real complexity is like, maybe we can't explore the stars without 
having teams of people having teams of people sitting in pods wireheaded who are you know like you know designing different machines and technologies for us or something like that like maybe maybe it's maybe it's a necessary risk so um that was kind of the overall overall theme of like i think techno optimist might be like the wrong term yeah. for that i think it's getting it's getting old at this point i think it needs totally. to rebrand yeah i think i but, i don't think i have it anywhere on my bio but the vibe is still it still fits the vibe and i would say that like literally yes i am i am optimistic about technology generally but uh there's much more to that yeah i think and we touched on this earlier in the episode but regardless about your stance on the issue i think uh trying to tell the negative story is gonna doesn't help us in any way we need to instead tell the the a story about the better a better vision of the future like it needs I, I would to be disagree a... with that. I I, I think okay. it can help. It just depends on where you're coming from. Like right now, a lot of the a lot of the reason that people are telling the negative story is really just because they want control. They're just authoritarians, and so it's like if if you if you were telling a, a negative story about technology because you are actually worried and you actually think that there's a, that there's a problem and and things should be you know adjusted and people should be aware of this and like you know th there's some sort of system that could re like resolve those issues that's fine but it's different when it's like no i just want to i just want i just want the ai to promote my favorite candidate right. or whatever for for you know political office on the left or the right you know it's like okay you just you just want you to win and you're just using this as like a tool to get what you want and that's that's how the game is played. I guess don't hate the player, hate the game. But <laughs> like, like I don't, I don't think that's super valuable. But it's certainly valuable to actually like think through how how these systems will will impact the world and, and whether and if there's negative stories. Like, um, I, as long I think as we're, you have I think that intention, yeah. Of moving towards I, and I, 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 I definitely agree with your sentiment that like we are overweight negative sci-fi negative you know, negative, uh, just ideas around like, like in terms of, in terms of projecting a future, um, there, there are very, very few positive ideas of the future. Um, in fact, in fact, I, I have yet to really hear anyone concretely articulate a, a political structure that feels like going forward instead of going backwards. Mm. It feels like there's, there, there's, there's the people that are like, capitalism is great. I'm in that camp. Like, let's keep it going. Then there's the people that are like, no, we need to go back to communism. We need to go back to socialism, like stuff that we've tried in the past and hasn't worked. It's going to work this time. But I haven't heard anyone be like, no, there's actually this new thing that we're going to try and it's never been done before. And it's going to be cool and it's different. And it's not something that we're just going back to. And then you get the other people who are like, oh, we need to go back to feudalism or we need to go back to <laughs> this. Um, but it's like at a certain point, like capitalism was invented, like when's the next one coming? Yeah. Capitalism 2.0. That's what, that's what we need. That's a great question. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I had, uh, Emmett Shear on several episodes ago and he, like his, his last kind of closing comment or uh, comment around this idea was like, is there a future we can envision that's truly like positive sum where it's not taking from one person to give to another, where it is everybody, uh, and, and maybe this isn't capitalism 2.0, maybe this is, never occurs yeah. or this is capitalism 5.0. Um, but uh, can we envision a future that isn't so like give and take zero sum? Um, there's some way everybody it, to some degree can win. 
And at yeah. least that is like the question we should be asking and striving towards. Capital rent free, rent free capitalism with no market failures. <laughs> Something like that, I guess. I don't know. Is that your platform? Are you running? Is this, are you announcing nah, your? I have no idea. Um, so I think we agree that we need more of like the these white pill kind of framings around these narratives. Uh, with that in mind, do you see a larger strategy that your YouTube channel and maybe your podcast to a lesser degree is a part of uh, when it comes to media? Like, do you want to build a larger media collective network with this lens? Or is this just something you're you're doing for fun, you'll keep doing, uh, and you're kind of less opinionated about the scale? I mean, obviously, you I, want your channel to grow, but yeah, I I, I want to make really great stuff that that's impactful. I don't want. I don't think I'm the person to build like the next New York Times. Um, I actually think Mike Solano is doing a great job with Pirate Wires on that front. I I, I think that that he's much more tuned into media in that way. He's fast paced reporting, uh, investigative journalism not really my forte. Um, I'm more of like an economic historian. I studied economics in college. I like, I like looking back and, and understanding how we got here. Um, Peter Thiel always has this thing. He says that like why questions are overdetermined. Like if you ask like, you know, why did 9-11 happen or something? Or what, why did, you know, the, why did technology stagnate or something? It's like it, it, people people put their own opinions like over that. Oftentimes, um, I'm I'm still very interested in why questions. Even yeah. though he says that there's like not they can be like kind of dangerous to ask or just like not super valuable. But even just the what questions, I feel like are are underappreciated in the sense that like there's so many times when like I go to a Wikipedia page and I'm like this isn't this this doesn't even capture what's on the internet. And so I can't imagine if you're a founder coming into Silicon Valley and you haven't heard the story of how Rip Rippling got started or Android got started or the, the story of Midjourney and like what David Holes was doing before Midjourney. Like that's really I interesting just to me. listening to that one yesterday. I think it, yeah, it's like, it's like, it's so crazy. He started this company and like it went through the ringer and like all this stuff. And like, that's just like not told. So um, when I think about like what media is, um, there's news gathering, there's investigative reporting, there's something called profiles where they, where they write a profile about someone. And sometimes they participate, sometimes it's a write around profile, meaning like they just talk to their friends um, or they just gather other information. I, I like profiles and that's kind of what I've been doing on my podcast, The Power Law Show, where I, 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 write, I read a lot and I listen to people on their podcasts. I do all the prep, but then instead of inter interviewing them, I just break down their whole career and their notes and kind of try and understand for myself, like what is the story of their life? Um, I have no idea if that's going to be good, but I enjoy it. So I'm, I like it. I can't do it as often as I want. I want, I want to be doing it like, you know, weekly, but it takes a long time. It's much, yeah. I think it's easier. Well, it's not easier because what you do, you, you've done all the research and then you're talking to me. Um, but just doing the research for a weekly show, like if you're taking it as seriously as you do, or Danny Miranda is another guy who takes it really, really serious on the research side. Um, you know, it's it's probably a solid eight hours of like consuming research about me just to set up this call, right? Uh, and so 
it's the same thing for a power law episode. I can do it every once in a while, but um, I haven't I haven't really like hit my stride with it. I also am just kind of struggling to understand like like who like 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 what what episode would I not do, and then wh- what what episodes are in the wheelhouse? Kind of all over the place. Some of them are just like people I know. Some of them are like really big people. I think it's always going to be people who are like active in the business community. I wouldn't necessarily go back and do like a Henry Ford, um, yeah. even though that's interesting. But it's just like it's not really what. I'm more of like, oh, I I dug into, you know, someone's Twitter and found their first tweets and that tells me something about them that's not out there. And and I I, I enjoy that type of thing. Uh but yeah, in, a... in terms of the other in terms of the other things that that you can do, like news gathering, investigative reporting, like these don't really interest me and I'm not particularly focused on them. I'm more like the history and research. There's also only so much time in the day. And I think between those two activities, plus everything else you're doing, that's, that's yeah. probably uh, plenty of time to spend on media. I mean, there's a way to do it. Like you hire reporters right. and you, and you have a newsletter and you put out different stuff and you have a website and you, and you're covering every topic and like you're eventually competing with the wall street journal and the, the New York times. And like that can work. It's tricky. It's just not what I do. I see. Uh, how I interpreted power law is almost a uh, founders podcast for present like technologists and, and founders yeah. who are like in the, and I actually think there's a lot more space for these solo podcasts around different I niches. I think they're incredibly underrated. So yeah, no, I mean, I, the thinking I, I was literally it. talking to David about this and um, he was like, yo, you should do, definitely do a podcast. And, and I was like, okay, well, um, he, he works with Patrick O'Shaughnessy, invest like the best. And if you do a two by two matrix, you can kind of see that Patrick is interviewing live people and founders is the opposite. He's like not interviewing and they're dead people usually. Um, and so it's like, well, what if you did something where it's like, you're not interviewing them, but they're alive. <laughs> and then the other, and then the other quadrant is like interview the dead person, which like, maybe you could do with AI. Like maybe that would be cool. Yeah. I've seen some people try, start like mashing up things like this, where it's like, I saw a video where it was Elon Musk talking to Kanye West and they just like cut together two different interviews to make it look like they were talking to each other, but they weren't. So there's some interesting things you could do there, but that I have no interest in making that. Um, but I, but I like this idea of like, of like, oh, like, like Emmett Shear. I've, I've, I've done a video about Twitch and I've, I've talked about, I've actually met the guy. I've talked to him, like talked about him a little bit on the channel, but I, I'd be interested to know like, okay, what is the definitive story of this guy? Cause it's very interesting how he like, you know, stayed at Twitch so long after getting acquired and then like went over there and like, there's probably a bunch of podcasts out there, but I don't know that there's like a definitive profile on him. So no, I didn't putting something one. together. Yeah, exactly. And so then like, if you were going to go interview him, at least you could listen to my episode on him and be like, I'm right. trapped, which would be cool. Well, that's actually, I, I've had uh, David Holes on my list for ever have wanted to yeah. bring him on. And if on the off chance that somebody's listening to this, who connect, who can connect me to him? He just started following me randomly the other day and I reached out to him, but I'm, I'm doing some prelim, preliminary prep for that episode if and when it happens. Um, yeah. But yeah, I love that. I think also another podcast in this uh, in this kind of genre that's great is Ben Wilson's How to Take Over the World. He's the former yep. producer of My First Million, but even yep. further back, like historical figures. Um, but yeah, I think there's more space here. So yeah, I like the solo show. I like having, I mean, YouTube is this thing where it started with just, you know, 
I'd wake up one day, it was pandemic, I'd, wife was pregnant, Sunday, I'd wake up, pick a topic, read about it, write it, record it, edit it, upload it the same day. Never more than more than one day. Um, now it's like fly around, interview, yeah, multi cameramen, like multiple editors, writers, like putting everything together. It's like so cumbersome and it's cool. It produces a really interesting product, but in terms of like the actual like creativity of like going and just doing something, there's something amazing about a solo podcast where it's like, you have a microphone, you talk into it, you upload it. There's no editing. There's no, there's nothing else. It's just pure facts and, and much more a personal connection with the, with, with, with the person. I mean, like there's some videos that I've, that I've put out where like, I'm less than 10% of the video. Like I could conceivably yeah. make a documentary that I don't narrate because it just doesn't need any narration because the interviews are so good. Like that's what gets on Netflix. Like on Netflix, they don't say like, oh, here's the guy who's going to explain everything to you. They just interview enough people. Um, and so I think it'd be cool to get there, but then it's like, what am I doing? And I don't yeah. have like an outlet and I'm already doing all the research. So I might as well. You should you should go check out if you haven't already. This guy Dodford, I had him on the podcast. Oh, as well. I loved him. Yeah, yeah. So fan. now he's gotten to a point where he's removed himself entirely as the narrator. Yep. Uh, he just released an ep uh, a documentary on Jamie Fox. Jamie Fox, excellent. Yep. Um, but yeah, he now has removed himself entirely, which is like an incredibly difficult editing oh, task to dig yeah. through hours and hours of material and uh, and weave together the story just with their own kind of dialogue, but. It's a awesome result if you do it well. Yeah. Insane feat for <laughs> of editing. I mean, it's just fully leading leaning into the editing. Yeah. There's something uh, yeah, there's something about that. I don't know. Interesting. Well, I was gonna one of the questions I had prepared was like this transition from kind of video like in the moment video essay to this multi week uh yeah. um, like the one you did with, with Andrew. Uh, was that really just like a very gradual and organic process or were you pretty intentional about like, okay, it's time for me to take a step change and like l level up my work here? No, it, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty gradual. It was like, okay, bring on an editor, have them edit one. Okay. This is better. I have more time to spend on other things. Okay. Now I can interview one CEO and I just went over to a guy's house and interviewed him for, you know, uh, I'll, I'll do like one zoom interview for this one. So I have a little bit more and I can cut that in. And then it's like, Oh, I'll, I'll bring in some other interview clips from what this person has done and increase that. And then all of a sudden it was like, go bigger and bigger and bigger. And just now it's like legitimately a, do a documentary that you could catch on, uh, on Netflix. I yeah. think the, the quality of the production is incredible. Yeah. I mean, um, that, that, that's the goal for this year is like, is like at least on like the main channel, I still want to do like weird, random stuff but at least on the main channel it's like it's like the definitive video on youtube about the topic because whenever i do that it's i i feel like i feel like there's only so many interesting things but if you can win you can yeah. get a lot of views on it so it's like just go and win and dodford has done that for celebrities so it's like he if you want to know if you want to watch something great about jamie fox like Obviously, like his Joe Rogan appearance is going to be great because it's just yeah. him. But in terms of like edited content, like the Dodford doc will probably be the best piece of content. So when you search Jamie Foxx history or Jamie Foxx explained or something like he should be at the top. Dodford yeah. should be at the top. Agreed. I know we're we're butting up against time. Um, Good. Okay. There's two, maybe just two more questions then. Um, first is 
if you're not planning some, I mean, these media activities are already taking up a good amount of your time. And I know your work with founders and you're still involved uh, kind of part-time with Lucy, like you've got enough on your plate, but you strike me as the kind of person that's not done building startups. Uh, Are you, do you have problems and spaces that you're exploring or interested in? And and would love to hear why those, if, uh, if you are willing to share them. Yeah, I, I am working on something new. I don't have anything to share yet. If you're interested in working we with me, you can can't email tease me. It. <laughs> um, uh, no, not yet. It's not, it's not, it's not ready for anything yet, but, um, yeah, I've been talking to like, uh, like building the early team and kind of getting the go to market in place. But, uh, I mean, I've been, I, I, I think like I can kind of, I can kind of expose like some of the algorithm that I've thought through, which is like, um, which is like, if you, if you, if you have an audience, like ideally you find something that, that benefits like everyone, but also allows for like price discrimination is very important. Um, so if you, you could be a massive celebrity, but if you have, if you're selling t-shirts and every t-shirt's 20 bucks, like even if there's a billionaire who's a fan, they, you just get $20 from them. Whereas like Taylor Swift, you know, like the box seats at her show are worth $10,000 a ticket as opposed to $1,000 a ticket. So there's some price discrimination there. And so figuring out a business model that captures that is very important. Uh, the best example of this recently has been Doug Jumuro with Cars and Bids because, uh, you know, I think, I think, Jerry Seinfeld is literally a fan of his and, and watches his videos. And so if Jerry Seinfeld goes to Cars and Bids, he can buy a $2 million Porsche and Doug can take 5% of that. It's like $100,000, right? But then just some random person who's a fan of Doug can go there and buy, you know, an old, you know, beat up BMW and Doug can make 500 bucks. And that works either way, as opposed to the t-shirt model where there's no price discrimination. So figuring out something that every single person in the audience needs or, or has a need for or will participate in um, is very, very, is very important. And then also figuring out a way to extract a lot of value out of the, the very successful businesses and right. entrepreneurs and founders that are watching um, at a very little bit amount of value, but still be able to like participate with somebody in, in the community uh, who's at a very low level. Uh, I mean, people already do this with like courses, but I think it's like, un, I think that's probably uh, under like not the right like monetization model for these because there's they kind of die out and they're, it's really just more content um, that you're paying for. Um, but you'll see that like somebody will be like, like it's uh, $5,000 for the CEO's course. And it's like two more modules or something. Right. Um, but, 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 but at the very least there are people that show up and they like that product because they're like, yeah, I wanted to spend the most with this person. Um, so and yeah, do you see that, that being geared if, uh, if I've kind of used up all my time on, on exploring this, uh, before you announce it, is that geared towards creators or anybody who has kind of this tiered dynamic approach to, to product development and sales? Oh, so, I mean, yeah, that, that advice I think is like specifically for, for creators that are trying to do something with an audience. Um, just that, like one of the risks is that you, 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 when you go to build a product and you price it, it's too cheap for the, for like the rich people in the audience and it's too expensive for the college students in the audience. 
Um, like if you start a Patreon and it's $5 a month, that might be too much for someone who doesn't have five, five bucks to spare, but it might be like, oh, like this is like nothing to someone who is rich. So right. uh, depending on the audience, you might want to figure out a way that someone can like essentially pay whatever they can, uh, but the value is proportional to that. And cars and bids is like the, is like a great example of that. Um, I don't think that applies to, to, you know, everything, but I mean, if you look at, you know, the, I mean, like pretty much every big company has, has some sort some form of price discrimination, you know, yeah. like there's the cheap iPhone, the expensive iPhone, you can buy the old iPhone, you can buy the newest with all the, the fancy gold watch or whatever. Uh, that was kind of like the extreme version of that. Um, you know, obviously anything that's an ad auction site is like highly price discriminatory in the sense that like, you know, how much is Mercedes Benz going to spend on Facebook this year? Like if, if Facebook wins Mercedes Benz as a client, they'll probably spend millions and millions and millions, but some small startup can show up and spend a hundred bucks as opposed to like the Super Bowl where every ad is $2 million. <laughs> it's like, it's not an option for small businesses. And then for big businesses, like they could probably pay more. But, you know, so they just have to kind of like get the price roughly right. And obviously it's a great property. So all the math works out, but it's not as powerful as like what Facebook's doing, where every single person can be a customer. Right. In terms of like well, I'm, th how they make money. Yeah. Well, I'm looking for that one person who wants to, to pay me $10,000 to do this podcast. So maybe we can pilot it. Yeah. We, we've been joking <laughs> about that. Like, yeah. Is there, is there just one person that could, uh, could, could could give you like yeah could you sell a product that's so good you sell it for like 10 million dollars so this like is like the thousand true fans taken to an extreme i'm sure the answer exactly. is yes the one uh, true fan <laughs> yeah i'm sure the answer is it i'm sure uh, a lot of only fans creators are seeing this um yeah probably the extreme case yeah uh well in closing i always ask the the same final question uh, for guests, which is to turn it around on you. What's one question you'd leave me and listeners with whether to think about or act on? It's always tough. I mean, if I'm looking back through what we've talked about, the biggest one would just be, what do you actually want? What do you want in life? I don't know if it's like such a stupid question on the face of it, but I don't think many people have really grappled with it. Like it can take years for people to get to the right place with that. It can take a long time. And there's a whole industry of like, you know, you know, self-help gurus and ayahuasca shaman and, you know, and then there's also like elite institutions that will say like, you know, come here and get and become a doctor and you will be respected. And like, we will give you everything that you need. We'll check all the boxes. So like this, you will be happy, which is kind of what they're selling a little bit. Um, but to really engage with that question and think about the trade-offs that will be required to get there, I think is, is, it's a valuable exercise. There's, there's a lot of layers there. Yeah. Uh, and that has some variation of that is the number one question that's come up repeatedly on this. So, uh, yes, it's, it's always interesting to hear more and more people say that. Well, awesome. John, thank you so much for your time. This was a blast. Uh, and looking forward to fun. hearing more about the, the new co and following along with uh, your, your media ventures as well. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me.